Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Rachel's been there and Percy are driving. It's August. Ugh. God, let me. Words. I can do this. It's my job. <laughs> Germany, what is good? Oh, that is a lot of people. This is wild. Thank you all so much for coming out to the show. This is a delight. I have had a wonderful time here in Berlin, my first time in your wonderful city. I've had loads of beer. I've learned the German way of opening bottles of beer where you just use a bottle to open another bottle. It was, I'm very proud of myself. They mailed me a citizenship card and everything. <laughs> it's great. I've got the blue passport. I've got the red passport. Now I'm all good. So, <laughs> no, it's been really fun. I've had a great time eating and drinking my way through your city and now performing some shows. And I am very excited for the show that we're doing tonight. We're going to be covering a really juicy portion of a chapter, the beginning of the chapter that starts off Percy Jackson and the Last Olympian, a very long chapter where a lot of things happen. So for any of the folks that like to grumble about me not getting through a full chapter, this chapter is twice as long as normal ones. So don't take it up with me, take it up with Rick Riordan. But regardless, we got a lot of spicy stuff to cover in this chapter. So let's bring out our guest. She is someone that I love so dearly, and I know many of you love her as well. So please make some noise for Kelly Schubert. Hello, hello. That's how you know the applause is good is when you have to check to make sure your microphone is on because the crowd was so loud. I was like, what? They love you. How could they not? How are you? How's it going? Doing well. Yep. It's been so long since I've last seen I you. I know. About 10 seconds ago. It's been too long. Now, this is not your first time in Berlin. You have been here multiple times, correct? Yes. I've been here once before. So now this is multiple times. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had a wonderful time when I was here last. I was here with some architecture friends of mine. So we did mainly architecture things while we were here and museum things. It was very, very fun. And then this trip has been a little bit shorter, a little bit more compact, but we still brought a lot in. I put on my tour guide hat, brought them around, talked to them about the history and the architecture. It's been fun. The architectural insights have been very, very good. It's been <laughs> nice to learn all the different architectural things around town mm -hmm. and see all the buildings and all it's it's been nice yeah. i appreciate your your wisdom that you bring well, to the you. table <laughs> things that i would just look at a building and go oh that's pretty <laughs> you can tell me why it's pretty ah. 
It's very important. So we <laughs> are going to be covering the beginning of chapter one of The Last Olympian. This chapter is called I Go Cruising with Explosives. Of course, I always try to make the guesses. So my guess, just from reading this chapter title alone, I wrote, hmm, tricky. I bet we get a situation where Percy is in the middle of some sort of quest off the jump, like an in media res situation. And then I remembered that he might be driving now because at the end of book four, we had the situation where he's getting his permit. So my guess was that he was going to be driving and that he has Greek fire in the car that he's to use to fend off some sort of bad guy. And I, uh, you know, there's some pieces that are there, but the word cruising might have been a little different and we'll get into that discussion. As far as this book, though, I know a lot mm -hmm. of people have it as their favorite book. Is that the case for you? I know you're a big fan of four. How does five fit in without spoiling stuff, I guess? How do you like the yeah. fifth book? I have said that four is my favorite. And then leading up to this, so many people have said five is their favorite that I actually feel the need to reread it because I read so fast. And you'll see why as we get into the <laughs> chapter, why I read so fast because I just wanted to get to the end. So now I feel like I need to reread it. And maybe it'll be my favorite book this time around. All right. We'll have to see. I'm enjoying it so far. I think this chapter's yes. fantastic. So Narrative Percy starts this book off in an absolutely phenomenal way. Quote, the end of the world started when a Pegasus landed on the hood of my car. <laughs> and I'm very excited about this because any sort of Pegasus mention means that it could be our good friend Blackjack, our canonically Italian-American Pegasus friend. <laughs> And then also, I know that there is a Pegasus on the cover of this one, I believe. I think it's Percy flying around the Empire State Building, at least on the main one. So you figure Olympus, you figure Pegasus. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that it's already coming here so soon. Now, narrative Percy lets us know that before this happened, he was having a pretty swell afternoon, especially because he didn't turn 16 for another week. So that keys us in to a few things about what time of year it is, mm -hmm. but also that this book, much like a lot of the other books in the series, are gonna last about a week or so. <laughs> it's kind of standard. We usually get the 10-day increment of what the PJO books tend to be. So this one probably will be about the same if I had to guess, unless we get a weird, you know, epilogue type thing, but I don't think that'll be the case. Right, yeah, I think um, it's a clever way of cluing us in to also the fact that the prophecy is coming up and that we should really be looking out for that. For sure. Mm -hmm. Now, another thing that's very interesting is that he said his mom and his stepdad, Paul, <laughs> which makes me think, all right, did they officially get married? Is this the official stepdad? Is it just colloquially calling him his stepdad because he feels like that? Did the wedding take place? As you've alluded to here, there's basically a full year between the end of book four mm -hmm. and this book. And even in the Demigod Files, we just had something over Christmas time. So even that would be eight months between then and now. Right. Did the wedding happen? We've had no mention of a wedding. I'm re-re-re-surprised now to re-re-re-read this. And I'm just, I want the in-between fan fiction story of that wedding is yeah. what I'm looking for. I want the official one. I want Uncle Rick <laughs> yes. to get his pen out and write it down or work with me. We can co-author it. I'm down for it. But... I want to know what happened. I don't know if Percy was the flower boy or the <laughs> ring bearer or whatever. I need all the juicy details. I know. Or do they have something small and intimate, just like a little, mm -hmm. you know, friends and family only thing? Up at the cabin at Montauk where they would go. and Yeah. Yeah, there. yeah it'd be really mm -hmm. sweet. So I want to know what's up. But in addition to this bombshell, we learn that Sally and Paul took Percy and Rachel Elizabeth Dare... <laughs> to a private stretch of beach on the South Shore 
and let them borrow the Prius for a quick drive. So that's sort of a classic getting to drive thing. Did you ever have that? Like before driving class, any sort of thing like that? Your parents letting you drive the car? My parents would never. <laughs> Barb and Joel are far too safe. We waited until I was actively getting my learner's permit. I think I had my permit and... Like, I would drive in parking lots with sure. my parents. They never let me take the car alone. I think even after I had a license. I think, <laughs> you know, it's still their car. I can drive a car, but they're still like, yeah, we're going to come with you when you drive our car for a while. So okay. at some point, they let me drive with my sister. But yeah, no, never got to just, you know, go cruising on the beach almost when I have a license. Yeah. Yeah. I never had that. I know some friends who had that, but no, not for me. Instead, and I believe I said this on the podcast, the closest I got to that was Joel letting me mow the lawn with our riding mower, <laughs> convincing me that it would help me learn how to drive. And I have to hand it to him. It did make driving really easy. Oh, I'm just mowing the street. Also, if you're Paul, this is the second step, like, you know, the second stepdad's car that he's been in. The first one didn't go so well. Yeah. So, wild decision by Paul Bullivis. Right? Knowing at least, if he doesn't know the full story of Percy, he should at least <laughs> kind of understand, oh, this kid was potentially responsible for the school exploding. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll have to see. <laughs> Narrator Percy is ready to defend Paul against any sort of person reading this who might think that this is irresponsible, citing that Paul knows him well, and he's seen Percy slice up demons and jump from exploding school buildings before. Mm -hmm. And this makes me wonder, again, another question that I'm curious about here, has Percy told Paul the full truth? Right, it's a good question. I mean, Sally and him are apparently married now. Is that the kind of thing you tell your spouse before you get married? Hey, by the way, your new stepson. <laughs> I feel like you have to, otherwise that's grounds for an annulment. So yeah. You have to <laughs> let that be known. That's the kind of thing to disclose. Maybe not in writing, but definitely to disclose. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that would be the case. Again, we don't know if it's an official marriage yet or if he's just calling him stepdad because they feel like they're at that level. But regardless, I'm very curious as to what Percy is referring. Slicing up demons, I don't know if he's just referring to the Kelly with an eye, Tammy so. with an eye situation. Yeah. But the mist, he would have seen something else. So mm -hmm. unless Percy described what was going on, or if there was a new demon slicing adventure that Paul happened to be in attendance of, I don't know. I really want to know what's going on. I, I don't know if it'll get answered throughout the book or if we need, you know, the Demigod Files Part 2 Electric Boogaloo, where <laughs> we learn about the other stuff in between books four and five that clearly took place. <laughs> so we will have to see. But the plan is that Paul is allowing Percy to drive just a couple hundred yards on this private part of the beach. And that should be pretty low on the list of most dangerous things that Percy Jackson has ever done. Mm -hmm. Rachel's with Dara and Percy are driving. It's August and it's hot out. Speaking of it being hot, narrator Percy's got some spicy descriptions of Rachel's with Dara for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rachel's red hair was pulled back in a ponytail and she wore a white blouse over her swimsuit. I'd never seen her in anything but ratty t-shirts and paint-splattered jeans before and she looked like a million drachmas. <laughs> yep, <sighs> I know. <laughs> now this is where you'll soon see the progression of my feelings towards all this because at this moment I was thinking, Percy, what are you doing? <laughs> you are semi-betrothed to Annabeth. <laughs> you are a kind of taken man. <laughs> But we'll see how things go and how my perception of this all changes a little bit and how it makes it very tough for me in a good way. <laughs> she tells Percy to park at a lookout spot. And I just wrote in my notes, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> they stop on a ridge looking out over the Atlantic Ocean. Percy always loves the sea, but today it seems especially nice as if Poseidon is calming it just for them. He then explains to the reader 
that his dad is Poseidon, just in case someone started with book five. <laughs> Does that mean that Poseidon's a Rachel stan here? He's not, he's not <laughs> team Annabeth. He's, he wants the calm seas for the Rachel date. We'll just have to see next time Percy hangs out with Annabeth near a body of water. And Percy's like, the waves were crashing and there was jellyfish all about and seagulls swarmed. <laughs> So Rachel Elizabeth there smiles and asks Percy about some sort of invitation. Percy tries to muster up some excitement, and he reveals to us that she invited him to her family's vacation home on St. Thomas for three days. Now, to try to give context of St. Thomas, because we're here in Germany, just a very nice vacation-y island that people in America go to if they have lots of money and they live <laughs> in the Northeast it's in the Caribbean. I've never been there. I'm not nearly fancy enough yes. to have gone there, nor is my family. Have you ever been there? <laughs> no, or? Been there. Okay. No. It's, it's quite fancy. That is a big move, though, from Rachel Elizabeth there. A three-day come-to-my-family's-vacation-home invitation? Mm -hmm. I feel like you don't do that unless you are either in some sort of relationship or something that's going in the relationship direction, or it's very much established that this is not a thing. They're mm -hmm. in that weird sort of in-between Feels like a big step. Yeah. I mean, her parents know who he is and his parents know who she is. And that's pretty telling in itself how their relationship has grown in the last year. Right. You don't get parents of each side involved unless things are mm -hmm. serious. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's, I don't know. It's getting tricky. Now, this is very different from the more down-to-earth family vacations that Percy is used to, where they just kind of go up to the shack and Montauk. He admits that he is in need of a vacation, but he's on call for a mission, and his birthday is next week, which, of course, is a very intense date to have circled on the calendar. Mm -hmm. Now, Rachel Elizabeth there is aware of the situation and the circumstances, and she even admits to him that she knows the timing is bad, but she asks him, isn't the timing always bad with you? <laughs> and though she does have a point, my thought here is that the birthday is scheduled bad. He can point to a date and say, this is a bad thing that is going to happen to me, as opposed to all the other things, which aren't necessarily predictable. They mm -hmm. will just happen to him randomly. But this is right. like, look, I know what's going to happen. He's getting the calendar alerts of, hey, in one week, you have to decide whether or not to destroy the world. <laughs> it's unplanned chaos versus definitely planned chaos. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the timing isn't always great for him. But this is the worst possible timing, and we've known about it for years. Yep. So maybe invite me a different weekend, Rachel Elizabeth Dare. I mean, but this is the weekend her parents are going. Uh, Plus, gotta create some conflict You're here. telling me Rachel Elizabeth Dare's rich-ass dad is going on a <laughs> one-week vacation? Yeah, they go every other week, Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, maybe it was just the maximum time that they would allow Percy to come is for these three days. <laughs> They'll be there for four weeks, but fine, we'll throw you a bone in for three days. Percy can go. <laughs> Percy says that he does really want to go, but, and Rachel Elizabeth Dare finishes a sentence saying, the war. Mm -hmm. And I would hope that finishing a sentence with the war <laughs> would put things into perspective for Rachel Elizabeth Dare. Yep, yeah. It's not some flimsy excuse. It's, oh, I have a war that is to decide the fate of the world. Yep. I'm a little busy. Sorry, I can't go swimming in St. Thomas with you. <laughs> I think she knows what's up here, though. Mm. I think she's still asking the question, I think she knows the answer, though. Right. And she's not necessarily holding it against him because mm -hmm. she just tells Percy to think about it and adds that they don't leave for a few days. But then she implies that her dad is being a bit fishy. He's being overly nice to her because she thinks that he wants her to attend Clarion Ladies Academy in the fall. 
which sounds gross. It sounds so stuffy and boring. When you say it that way, of course, yeah. I mean, how else can you pronounce Clarion Ladies Academy? Yeah. Like, no, you're the Clarion Ladies Academy. <laughs> Kudos to Uncle Rick. It sounds very mm-hmm. much like it's described. Percy identifies it as the school where Rachel Elizabeth Dare's mother went, and Rachel Elizabeth Dare qualifies it as a stuffy finishing school all the way in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Now, to put New Hampshire in context here, since we're in Germany, I don't want to diss on any city, because I know some folks traveled from various parts of Germany and not Germany to be here in Berlin. So in the States, New Hampshire is just like, I don't know, imagine the person who takes a sweater and then ties it around their neck. You know, they cross the arms and then puts it over. It's like that. But even that doesn't fully describe it, because that, to me, is more Connecticut. And that's a problem with New Hampshire, is that I know so little about it that I can't even make fun of it properly. (laughs) Like at least you have states like Vermont where you can be like, ah, maple syrup and skiing, great. Mm -hmm. Or you have states like New Jersey where I'm from where it's like the one we all hate and make fun of the most. At least we have a thing. Rhode Island, it's really tiny. Delaware, it's a tax haven and that's it. Like there's all the little (laughs) things that you can make fun of the other states for. But like, what do you even make fun of New Hampshire for? Like, that's how boring it is. (laughs) There's not even something to make fun of it. No, it's a good point. I've been to New Hampshire once. I went skiing there. I actually had to look up just now to make sure that is where I went skiing because <laughs> I wasn't 100% sure that was the state I was in. It could have been Vermont. I don't know, but and it was New Hampshire. <laughs> New Hampshire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rachel is there asks Percy if he can envision her in finishing school, prompting me to Google what is finishing school. <laughs> and apparently, according to the internet, it is a private college where girls are prepared for entry into fashionable society, which sounds disgusting. Yeah, the only kind of finishing school that we need in the U.S. is a place that teaches you how to change a tire, Mm. do your taxes, Mm. deal with insurance, those kinds of things. That'd be a good finishing school. I would love that. We don't have that in America. Do you guys have that in Germany where they just like teach you how to be an adult? Okay, so we can all sympathize. (laughs) Where they teach you algebra and calculus and whatever, but they don't teach you how do I do laundry? (laughs) (laughs) I've long wanted there to be just a class your senior year of high school that's just called, I don't know, making it. (laughs) Just tell you how to do laundry, how to properly do the dishes, more advanced things can be taxes and all of that because they didn't teach us any of that. And for all of those things, you know, either my parents have to teach me or I just had to learn how to do it in college when I was a freshman and I had to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. Or I was very fortunate that after I graduated college, I sat next to during orientation, a guy at my job who was there to do business stuff. And he knew all of the tax things and he taught me that. Otherwise, I would have had no idea what to do about my 401k and my Roth IRA. Like, I would have been so lost. Thank God I sat next to Kelton Johnson for two weeks. (laughs) I'm eternally grateful to him for the financial situation that I was much better in from the years of ages 22 to 24. I didn't know what I was doing. Nobody taught me anything. (laughs) I've often said that my taxes is the most Jane Austen part of my life. My dad used to help me with my taxes. And then when we got married, your taxes were way more complicated. So now you do my taxes. So I, (laughs) as a lady, transfer from my father to my husband. (laughs) You just roll mine in with your very complicated mess. (laughs) Your taxes compared to mine are so easy. I know. (laughs) I did just recently send my tax accountant a spreadsheet with 10 tabs and I want to say like 20 PDFs where some of them were combined of multiple things to make it easier. And then Kelly's are just like 
four pages. Yeah, it's very <laughs> so easy. envious, but it's okay. I probably could learn how to do it if I wanted to, but no, I'll just. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Just comes with the territory. Cool job, not cool taxes. <laughs> Narrator Percy says that he can't see Rachel Elizabeth Dare in finishing school. He says about this as the narrator, quote, Rachel was into urban art projects and feeding the homeless and going to protest rallies to, quote, save the endangered yellow-bellied sapsucker. I want to know if that's a real bird. I got to play more wingspan to figure out if that's a real bird or not. And he continues, and stuff like that. I'd never even seen her wear a dress. It was hard to imagine her learning to be a socialite. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I couldn't see her at the school either. Yeah, it makes her sound really cool by that description, though. Oh, she's always been quite cool, but yeah. That description, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's contributing to my worry of her being a very cool love interest. Yep. Rachel Elizabeth Dare's suspicion is that her dad is being extra nice to her to guilt her into going. This vacation is a part of it. Letting Percy come on the vacation is a part of it. But she wants Percy there because it would be better to have him there. And she wants to talk to him about something. Percy asks, what is so important that we need to go to St. Thomas to discuss it? <laughs> she says, forget about it for now. And she asks if they can just pretend to be two normal people out for a drive, watching the ocean, enjoying each other's company. Percy can tell that something is bothering her, though, despite the smile that she's putting on. And he also adds that the sun makes her hair look like fire. (laughs) Which I get. When your hair is in the sun, you get a little bit of red in it. It Mm -hmm. makes you look very nice. So I understand (laughs) what he's going for here. But my guy is swooning over Rachel's bed there in this chapter. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I was watching. <laughs> the one time we're exhaling into the microphone worked out well. <laughs> I was watching you read this chapter last night, just waiting for progressively louder gasps. <laughs> and at this point, you were just a little frustrated. Yeah. I mean, like five minutes, I'm like, where are you now? Where are you now? <laughs> I was wondering why you kept asking where I was. Where are you now? <laughs> but at this point, I wrote minutes that we're really starting to enter love triangle territory. And at this point, I realized love triangle is not the correct term for this situation. In general, I feel like we misuse it. In this particular situation, I don't think a love triangle is apt because we have Percy at the top and he definitely has feelings for Annabeth and she has feelings for him. And then he's got feelings for Rachel's Bader and she has feelings for him. But I don't think Annabeth and Rachel is with there of anything going on, at least to our knowledge. Only in the fan fiction world. <laughs> right. But that's not a triangle. That's just an angle. Yep. It's an arrow. <laughs> it's not correct. So I feel like we as a society need to get better about our labels. You could have a true love triangle where A, B, and C have all sorts of lines going between them. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case going on here. And that's not the case for some of the stereotypical things that we call love triangles in YA series mm-hmm. and movies and TV shows and all that kind of stuff. Anyway. Anyways, Percy Jackson podcast, not a linguistics podcast. But regardless of the name being wrong, I, at this point, didn't know how to feel about Rachel Elizabeth there being in the Annabeth tier of Percy love interest. But the next sentence clarified things for me. Narrative Percy says, quote, we'd spent a lot of time together this summer. I hadn't exactly planned it that way, but the more serious things got at camp, the more I found myself needing to call up Rachel and get away, just for some breathing room. I needed to remind myself that the mortal world was still out there, away from all the monsters using me as their personal punching bag. That totally makes sense, because much like Akon to Gwen Stefani, Rachel is but there is his sweet escape. Thank you! Someone <laughs> Yes! Oh, I was terrified that that wasn't going to land. Oh, gosh, great. But yeah, I totally understand it. He's got a really stressful situation going on when he's at camp, and with Annabeth, he can't necessarily escape that stressful situation. Mm-hmm. So with Rachel Elizabeth there, he can break away from that for a little bit. Right. She, I think, 
grounds him, mm-hmm. provides an escape. She's immortal, makes him more part of that world, but she still knows about him and his life and can still relate to it because she can see monsters and she knows the kind of danger that he's under. Right. So she's not totally on the other side of it, but she, I think, is good for him in that way. Right. It's a situation where he doesn't have to completely never discuss it with her because, mm-hmm. like you said, she knows some things. Right. But it's enough where, like, she can understand the bad things, mm-hmm. but then he doesn't have to get into them. Right. He doesn't so, have to run from his life with her all the time. Just right. sometimes. Yeah. And then if bad stuff happens or he needs to leave, like in this situation, that's mm-hmm. going to happen in a little bit because she knows that it's okay. Right. Yeah. It's nice to talk about normal things sometimes with her. Yeah. It's not like he's a superhero who has to keep his identity completely a secret from her. It's just like she knows about it a little bit. Right. Yeah. He's not Hannah Montana, you know? <laughs> oh! oh. <laughs> She's in the inner circle of the Hannah Montana friends. <laughs> <laughs> she gets the best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> Percy is on board for the acting like two normal people plan. And then Rachel Elizabeth there lays down the gauntlet and says, quote, and so dot, 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 hypothetically, if these two people liked each other, what would it take to get the stupid guy to kiss the girl, huh? <laughs> Rachel! <laughs> I gotta respect the game. That's a really powerful move. <laughs> I don't know if I would have been able to pull off such a direct move at age 15 slash 16. I know. Percy can't either. He's also rather off. Oh, well, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course that was going to happen for Percy. But of still, course. just, that's a, that's a pretty forward move for a teen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this led to gasp number two from you last night mm-hmm. as you were reading. Mm-hmm. And then you were like, okay, I got to the part, part you can stop asking me. I was like, but I don't think you did yet. <laughs> nope. I had not. Narrative Percy says that he feels like one of Apollo's cows, slow, unintelligent, and bright red. He reveals as the narrator that he certainly thought of Rachel Elizabeth Dare in that way, which is a contrast to something he said in book four, Mm -hmm. I believe. He said, I never thought of Rachel Elizabeth Dare that way. So now he has thought of her that way. And then he has a real doozy of a line with, quote, she was so much easier to be around than dot, 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 well, than some other girls I knew. (laughs) Who could he be talking about? Clarice? (laughs) (sighs) And at this point, I was writing in my notes, I think that the problem with the Annabeth versus Rachel Elizabeth Dare battle for his love is that Rachel Elizabeth Dare didn't even get introduced until the end of book three and didn't really become a factor romantically until book four. And by that point, I'm already super invested in Percy and Annabeth, and I don't want to entertain other options, even when they make sense, like Rachel's but there or Calypso. I'm just so invested in three books worth of, come on, come on, come on, <laughs> that now it's kind of hard that it's so late in the game. Well, I don't think Calypso is ever a good option for him, because he's going to have to leave his entire world for her, and he's very important to his yes. world. Yes. He was at least going to avoid the prophecy situation, though. Yes, but... As far as her being introduced early enough, I think book three is early enough, especially because she's played a really important role every time that we've seen her. She's saved his life in some way every Mm -hmm. single time that she's been introduced. And I think that she's been written in so likable that she does, unfortunately, become a contender that you could actually see him with. Yeah. I think as I went on and as we talked about it a little bit when I was reading, Mm -hmm. it was one of those things where the problem I'm describing shows how good it is that she did come in that late, but then is still compelling. Yeah. Kind of like you're saying. So Mm -hmm. I get it, but I'm just trying to relay my in the moment notes. (laughs) 
at this point, though, the closest that I could get was seeing Rachel Elizabeth Dare as a, yeah, I could see her and Percy together type thing, but not necessarily a, I want them together thing. Right, yeah. But I wasn't sure if this was me just being a little too finders keepers about it, where I was like, Annabeth got there first. (laughs) (laughs) She has the right to him or whatever. But she had laid the groundwork and... Percy is not necessarily the easiest to deal with romantically because he's very dense about it. (laughs) She's laid the groundwork. She's made the first moves. She planted the kiss. Mm -hmm. So she's put in some of the effort. So I feel like it's not necessarily fair. But then on the other hand, Mm -hmm. she's been kind of a stinker the whole end of book four. Like, I think it was justified for her to be a little bit grumpy, but it's dragged on quite a bit as well to where it's getting into the, like, you might blow this Annabeth situation. Mm. (sighs) I think also with, Annabeth, this interaction at least got me thinking about Luke and Annabeth. That's true. That's been lingering in the background too. And it's like, is Rick writing this in for a reason? What are all these characters and all these really complex relationships doing? And this is why I don't remember book five very well, because I just sped right through it (laughs) because I needed to know. (laughs) Well, I can't do that, but let's keep going. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking of Rachel's, but there was in the mix earlier. I might have been more on board, but... I don't know, it just feels like Annabeth is supposed to be the one, that it's a little bit like it might be getting into the situation you get with some TV shows like The Office or Abbott Elementary, where you know where it's going to end up. But what makes it hard is that Rachel's bit there is very good for him. Mm-hmm. And it's not like some other love triangles you'll see, whether it's stuff that I just referenced or things like in The Hunger Games, where there's very clearly one person that's better. And if you're a Gale stan, you're wrong. <laughs> Peter was so much better. And that's why I got so frustrated that I stopped reading the second book because when Katniss was like, ah, Peter's so nice to me. What's the deal? I was like, he's perfect for you. <laughs> Threw the book across the room and never opened it again. Or in contrast, in Twilight, when she has to pick between Edward and Jacob and she picks the wrong one. <laughs> but- Jacob was the right one, even though he introduced with... Okay, I didn't read them. <laughs> All I know is that he introduces and greets her one time. It's like, what's up, loco? Or whatever. <laughs> That's a huge red flag. I, th- I think that was just movie Jacob that oh, did that. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. Sorry, I will file my complaint with Taylor Lautner. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, what's hard here is that I don't think Rachel Elizabeth there is worse for him. It's just different. It's an apples and oranges mm-hmm. situation or pretzels and sausages. Like, they're both <laughs> great options. So you can't go wrong. <laughs> Unless you're vegan. Anyway, Anyway, Percy Jackson. Percy Jackson thinks that being around Rachel Elizabeth Dare is easier than being around Annabeth because Rachel Elizabeth Dare doesn't hide much and lets you know how she's feeling, whereas Mm -hmm. Annabeth makes Percy work a little bit harder and watch what he says and he has to try to figure out what she's thinking. And this is also tough because sometimes you got to put in a little bit of work to make a relationship that's worth it work out. But also on the flip side, just like me in my life, I appreciate that you are very direct and I don't have to play all sort of guessing games so I can also see how that would be appealing. I was going back and forth so much. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, you got very distracted at this point last night. I'm just like, It's not reading. distracted. It's, yeah, it's part of the podcast. <laughs> it, is, it is still uh, noteworthy for the job. And I'm like, just keep going. Just keep reading. <laughs> right. So the gods, thankfully, though, have blessed Percy Jackson because before he can even say anything or make any sort of reaction to what Rachel Elizabeth Dare has done, four hooves crunch down atop the hood of the Prius and a voice says, hey, boss, nice car. <laughs> so it's Blackjack. Let's go. <laughs> 
Percy does not want to get mad at Blackjack for wrecking the hood, but he does suspect that Paul Blofus might not be too thrilled about what just took place. <laughs> Percy begins to ask Blackjack what he's doing here, but then he sees that someone is riding on Blackjack, and this particular person that happens to be on Blackjack's back makes Percy realize that his day is about to get a lot messier. It's our old pal Beckendorf, which is exciting. I love Beckendorf. Our good pal Charlie, I was excited to learn more about him in the Demigod Files, so I have more of an affinity towards him. I already liked him. He gives Percy a sup, which is great. <laughs> Demigod Files established that they call each other dude. Now in this book, they greet each other with sup. <laughs> Very 2010 teenage boy friendship. I love it. <laughs> Narrative Percy notes that he is dressed for combat, and then he gives the reader a bit of a rundown about Beckendorf's whole deal. He's ripped. He's a mechanical wizard, and he recently made a Greek firebomb in the bathroom of a tour bus that was moving monsters across the country, and it took out an entire division of Kronos' army after the first flush, which is awesome. And at this point, I wrote in my notes, Uncle Rick is on an absolute heater in this chapter because it's so... Well-written, it's so interesting, and in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. We've got action stuff, we've got romance stuff, mm -hmm. we've got scene setting, and just you can envision where they are, the mm -hmm. scenery is very clearly described. There's so many different things going on, and we're on page four, maybe? <laughs> it's so good. This chapter is incredible, and I'm starting to see why so many people like this book, if Uncle Rick keeps this up, because mm -hmm. my goodness, the first part of chapter one is so phenomenal. Right, we are at pace right now. You've got comedy too with Blackjack coming in of now. Of course, yes. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Beckendorf has a sword and a bag of explosives, so the chapter title is really starting to approach. <laughs> Percy asks him if it's time. Beckendorf nods. Percy's heart sinks because despite the week's worth of preparation that they've done, he was secretly hoping that this would never happen. Rachel is with there, greets Beckendorf, who introduces himself, and says, Percy's told me, uh, I mean, he mentioned you. <laughs> Beckendorf, who has been established as not smooth in the Demigod Files, continues to not be smooth here. He's as smooth as chunky peanut butter. Rachel's but there cocks an eyebrow because Beckendorf basically told her everything he was going to say since he said most of the sentence of Percy's told me a lot about you. She cocks an eyebrow and says, really? Good. And then asks them if they have to go save the world. Beckendorf confirms. Percy begins to ask Rachel Elizabeth there to relay the details to Sally. She says that she's on the case, and she will also explain the whole car damage situation to Paul. Percy thanks her, and then Rachel Elizabeth there kisses him before he can even react. And she says, now get going, Half-Blood. Go kill some monsters for me. And then I groaned about how good the love triangle is for 23 minutes. It's yeah. so good. This is so good. It's very good. Uh, and I appreciate that she's very direct. Annabeth also has to be very direct with him because Percy won't make any sort of move. So mm -hmm. it's not like Annabeth is dropping the ball here, but mm -hmm. they are both just up to the task. It's so tough. That's so good. I know. It's amazing. Uh. I mean, Rick has written two very complex, strong female characters, and that's why we like them both. Mm -hmm. And they're both very different, mm -hmm. but they're both good for him yep. in different ways. Yep. <laughs> so as Percy flies away on Blackjack, he wonders what Rachel's with Dare wanted to talk to him about and if he'd even live long enough to find out. Don't worry, Percy. You're in the sequel series. You'll be okay. <laughs> Beckendorf checks with Percy just to make sure, uh, I shouldn't tell Annabeth what happened, right? <laughs> Percy says, don't even think about it. <laughs> they then arrive at their target, the Princess Andromeda, the cruise ship 
that we all hate. I already am not a big cruise ship guy. This just makes me hate cruise ships even more. <laughs> but they go to Luke, now Kronos's, I guess, headquarters mm-hmm. as night is arriving. And the ship is headed for New York. Beckendorf asks Percy if he knows what to do. Percy nods, and narrative Percy explains that they've done test runs on abandoned ships at the dockyards in New Jersey. I love that my home state showed up. <laughs> Don't know how I feel about them showing up in the area of property damage. <laughs> but at least we found a way into the series. That's two New Jersey instances so far. Nice. <laughs> Neither of them have been particularly positive. But I'll take it. Neutral at best, really. Yeah. <laughs> Percy knows that the timing is going to be tight, but he recognizes that this is their best chance to shut down Cronus's invasion before it even begins. Percy asks Blackjack to let them off on the lowest stern deck, and Blackjack says, gotcha boss, man, I hate seeing that boat. <laughs> and then narrator Percy reminds us, just in case we forgot, or we're starting with book five, that Blackjack <laughs> used to be held captive and had to work for the bad guys on the Princess Andromeda. And then narrative Percy figures that Blackjack would rather have his hair braided like My Little Pony than return to the Princess Andromeda. And there's no way that Uncle Rick could have predicted the very strange comeback that My Little Pony would have had (laughs) into the cultural zeitgeist. But what a weird accidental way to keep this book relevant. (laughs) Percy tells Blackjack not to wait for them. Blackjack begins to protest, but Percy insists... And then Blackjack does this cool move where he plunges to the deck and folds his wings so that they can plummet really quickly. And then just before they get to the landing spot, Blackjack opens up his wings again and then they have a nice soft landing. Really cool stuff. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Blackjack drops them off and says, good luck, boss. Don't let him turn you into horse meat. And I think that would involve magic of turning them into horses first (laughs) and then killing them. But I digress. (laughs) Blackjack flies off. Percy calls him his old friend, which I think is really nice because it's establishing now that Blackjack isn't just a cool car or a means of transportation. (laughs) He's also his friend with his own personality and not just something like a means to an end of, oh, I got to get somewhere. Let me call up Blackjack. Percy genuinely (laughs) views him as a friend, and I think that's cool. I wonder if Blackjack's going to start like a Uber service Hmm. (laughs) where you can call a Blackjack to pick you up. Look, Percy's utilizing him a lot. I mean, at least Percy does seem to give him a lot of sugar cubes, so it seems Mm -hmm. like we had a good transaction system going. But I just think it's nice because in other series, like in Harry Potter, it was very much like Harry's got friends that aren't wizards, but they always just feel like a step below Mm -hmm. because they aren't human. Mm -hmm. And I just like that Percy doesn't do the same thing here. He doesn't care if someone is a demigod or a satyr or a pegasus. Mm -hmm. That's canonically (laughs) Italian-American. He is friends with them, and I think that that's just nice. Tyson, a cyclops as well. Like Percy doesn't care, and I think that's genuinely very cool and a nice thing to have in the series. I agree. I think that the only like animal that elevated to friend level in Harry Potter would be Hedwig, Mm -hmm. but even then, like... Kind of. Well, yeah. And what's uh, the coolest line from Hedwig? <laughs> he isn't, Hedwig doesn't do anything. I mean, you got yeah, Dobby and some other people too. But like, I, it's nowhere near right, the true. situation that's here where it's just, you know, not making a big deal of it. Just Blackjack is my friend. And I think he that's also really is a nice. horse. But, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. We all have friends that happen to be Pegasus. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Percy then uncaps Riptide. Beckendorf pulls out a piece of paper that Percy at first thinks is a map, but then realizes that it's a picture of Selena Beauregard. Big old hubba hubba moment for them, as we saw in the Demigod Files. They're becoming a thing. And I 
am now very worried about them because <laughs> they are already in that tier of character where we like them and we care about them. And if one of them got murdered in a fight or a war or whatever, if we lost one of them, we'd be sad. Mm -hmm. But it's not like they're at main character status where we would be absolutely crushed. Mm -hmm. So I was already worried about them. But now that they're Love is becoming more of a prevalent <laughs> thing in the Demigod Files and now in this book. It's just like, oh, I'm really scared about them. But we'll have to progress because I can't look at your face to see if you're sad or anything about it. But I am happy for the two of them. Percy reveals that they started dating last summer. Mm -hmm. And this summer is the happiest he's ever seen Beckendorf, despite all of the tough missions that they've been going on. And... At this point is when I realized, oh, wow, a full year has passed since book four. It's already the summer again, and then even eight months since the Demigod Files, because one of those three stories is a Christmas story. Mm -hmm. So time is really flying, and I want to know what happened all in between the last time we checked in with our friends. Like, did Sally and Paul Blofus get married? Exactly. Was Rachel Elizabeth there invited to the wedding? <gasps> <I know. sighs> Was Annabeth there? I Was know. it awkward? I know. <laughs> Percy promises that they will make it back to camp. Beckendorf's eyes show a fleeting moment of worry, but then he puts on a confident smile and says, you bet, let's blow Kronos back into a million pieces. And now I got worried that Beckendorf was going to die now. Because I don't like promises of everyone being okay. It just feels <laughs> like someone's not going to be okay. I'm very scared. Beckendorf leads the way through the ship. And they stop when they hear a telekine yell at someone else that they don't care what this other person's nose says because the last time they thought they smelled a half-blood, it turned out just to be a meatloaf sandwich. <laughs> this prompts me to think that they should have brought meatloaf sandwiches and set them uh, around the ship or have Blackjack just circling the ship with a backpack full uh -huh. of meatloaf sandwiches. Yeah, 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 and then yeah. everybody's just confused. And nobody knows that they're there. I guess they couldn't have prepped for this because they didn't know until they arrived th leave, about this. Make some sandwiches. But yeah, come can back. <laughs> Percy really quickly try to telepathy talk to Blackjack? Hey, wait, have you left yet? Uh, you think you could pick up some meatloaf sandwiches and fly around the boat? <laughs> He's now a Blackjack Eats service. Hey! hey. <laughs> it could work. It could work. <laughs> These two voices argue for a bit, so Beckendorf leads Percy down two flights of stairs. They approach a metal hatch, which Beckendorf identifies as the engine room. He is able to split the bolt using chain cutters, and inside they see a row of yellow turbines chugging along, and my engineer brain perked up. I don't get to use my engineering degree a lot. But I was very excited because I worked at a couple different plants when I was an engineer boy, and I was very intrigued to know what kind of setup they had, what kind of turbines are they using, all that kind of stuff. It was, it was interesting. I could envision what this engine room looked like. And I was very intrigued. <laughs> now across the room is a telekine working at a console on a wall filled with pressure gauges and computer terminals. And I got even more interested. <laughs> he's furiously working at a keyboard and narrator Percy wonders if he's messaging his friends on uglyface.com. <laughs> Not one of his better <laughs> jokes. Not a good one. Bit of a womp womp for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Percy steps forward. The telekine smells him. He tries to hit an alarm, but Percy blocks his path and slices him with Riptide. Beckendorf says, one down, about 5,000 to go, <laughs> and tosses Percy a jar of Greek fire. And at this point, I realized, oh, they're cruising <laughs> with explosives. And I just got to say, well played, Uncle Rick. That is, 
Very good wordplay. I love when the titles are tricks, and that's a really good play gotcha. on words. You yeah. got me real good, especially with a car being in the beginning. I was like, ah, oh, cruising car, boom. No, they are literally cruising. Beckendorf instructs Percy to strap it to the console, and then he will handle the turbines. They use duct tape, which Percy describes as an essential tool of demigod heroes. They get to work. They're working up a sweat. Percy, because of his nautical powers, can tell that they are at 40.19 degrees north, 71.90 degrees west, and they're traveling at 18 knots, meaning that the ship will arrive in New York Harbor by the morning, so this is their only shot. After Percy straps the second jar of Greek fire, he hears... Just an uncomfortably high number of steps coming down the stairs. So he asks Beckendorf how much longer until they're ready. Beckendorf says too long, explaining that he still needs to wire the receiver and prime the charges. And these tasks will take about 10 minutes. Percy thinks that they have about 10 seconds before these bad guys arrive. So he is going to distract them so that Beckendorf can keep working. Yep, he's about to start making the meatloaf sandwiches. Uh-huh, right. And... I'm going to find the kitchen in the cruise ship. I'll be mm -hmm. right back. Percy offers to distract them. He says he'll meet Beckendorf at the rendezvous point. Beckendorf begins to protest, but Percy says, wish me luck. So Beckendorf just has to say, good luck. And then Percy heads out. He very quickly annihilates a half dozen telekines on the stairs, and then he passes an additional one who drops his little demon's lunchbox, and Percy keeps him alive, one, because this is very cute, and two, because he needs one person to be alive to sound the alarm so that if he is going to be a distraction, he will actually provide a distraction. Mm -hmm. So he's hoping that that person will sound the alarm and everyone will follow Percy instead of going after Beckendorf and Percy or investigating the noise, whatever caused those people to run down the stairs. It's a valid strategy, but I think it's because he was cute with his little demon lunchbox. <laughs> <laughs> it's a major factor, but I also understand the strategy element of it as mm -hmm. well, because clearly something happened where they were going down the stairs. So you gotta get them away if there's gonna be reinforcements or mm -hmm. people who check in if those people go missing. Right. So I get it. Percy runs through the ship, noting that it looks gross after years of monster occupation. He then realizes that the zombie tourists aren't here anymore, and he guesses that they met some cruel fate and doesn't want to think about it too much. Yeah, that makes me wonder, did a whole cruise ship of people go missing and nobody in the mortal world took notice of it? That mist is powerful stuff. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Your parents go on a cruise and you're just like, oh yeah, they're still cruising around a couple years later, I suppose. Maybe the horrible demise is they just got dropped off in Florida or yeah, something. Because the cruise it. ship did get stuck in Florida. <laughs> so maybe their untimely fate was just, you have to be in Florida. <laughs> the one person who always comments on the subreddit of whether or not I made fun of Florida in an episode is going to be furious. <laughs> but it's been a minute. Now, Percy reaches the promenade and sees that the large fountain that's there has something new in it, a giant crab. And Percy qualifies that this is not giant crab as in giant crab that you might see at a $7.99 all-you-can-eat Alaskan king crab buffet, to which I'm wondering, where are you getting all-you-can-eat Alaskan king crab for $8? <laughs> Because I need to go to that buffet now. And if you do, probably get some food poisoning from I, that Yeah, buffet. that's true. That price is suspiciously too, too low. Too low. Yeah. Not double digits for a seafood buffet. <laughs> Little tricky. Now, what Percy means is giant in terms of larger than the fountain, about 10 feet tall with pincers longer than Percy's body. Now, I'm thinking at this point, okay, but you're the son of the sea god, so can't you just be like crab? Be gone. 
but it stares at Percy with its beady eyes, and Percy can sense intelligence and hatred behind those eyes. Narrator Percy says, quote, the fact that I was the son of the sea god was not going to win me any points with Mr. Krabby. <laughs> and now I'm thinking, he's ready to burst out into song, because this is Tematoa from Moana. <laughs> <laughs> The Disney crossover has right? begun. And look, they get the little cameo. They get Jemaine Clement to do the voice. All mm-hmm. he has to do is a bunch of hissing noises because yep. I think it just hisses and at one point does something like or whatever. <laughs> Come in, get a quick payday, make some automatopoeia and get out of there. Mm-hmm. Not a bad uh, gig for the old Flight of the Concords man. Yeah, I think it'd be a great little cameo for him. It'd be wonderful. Look, I would do it if I was in that position. Disney, hire me. I'll do the voice of the crab. Why not? <laughs> so it hisses at Percy. Alarms start blaring, meaning that reinforcements are on the way. And Percy tries to just scooch around the crab, but it rushes towards Percy and begins to attack. Percy then hears a voice say, there, intruder. So he knows that, cool, my distraction plan is working. Not so cool in that I'm in the middle of a promenade and if the reinforcements come, they can easily swarm me. So I got to deal with this crab quickly. Percy dodges a claw swipe and then cuts off the tip of it with Riptide. But the crab seems mostly fine, so Percy tries to think if there's anything that he's been told in old stories about monster crabs. And he recalls a time where Annabeth told him something about Hercules crushing it under his foot, but Percy thinks that that won't work here since the crab is just slightly larger <laughs> than his Reeboks. And when he said Reeboks, I was very locked in. Because one, Reeboks in 2010, that is past the prime of Reeboks. Very surprising. Two, what model of Reeboks is he rocking? That's very interesting. And three, do they switch this to other shoe brands in different countries? Like, do they switch it to K-Swiss or Puma or something else? Like, I don't know if Reeboks have made their way. Like, how do you describe like the third tier of shoe <laughs> in the other countries? So I want to know if they switch with that brand name because they'll do that mm. for soda or other food in oh, the yeah. books. So I was very interested in that. And then fourth thing I thought about was when they make the TV show, I'm pretty sure from the photos I've seen, Walker Scoble is wearing Vans. And I think that vibe makes sense for Percy. I viewed him as like either a Converse guy, like a Nike guy. I think Vans make sense as well. Nike guy. Yeah. Interesting. I guess maybe not because I guess he's always... Yeah, because, no, Nike, maybe not a Nike guy because it could get a bit pricey. Yeah, I would have said Adidas over Nike. Oh, like a little bit more well, sporty. On the, well, I mean, I guess they're most sporty. No, my, my thought of Nike was purely just he really likes basketball, and Nike's got more of the stronghold in basketball, okay. whereas Adidas has more of the stronghold in, in soccer. soccer. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's why I'm thinking about Adidas, and you're thinking about Nike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at us. But I wonder, when the show comes out, if he's not wearing Reeboks, or if at least he's not switched to Reeboks by the season over book five, are there going to be some purists that are going to be like, uh, well, actually, if you read book five, he wears Reeboks. Are they going to be upset? That will now be me. I will do that. I'll start the blog (laughs) to fight for Reeboks. (laughs) (laughs) But very intriguing. I, of course, will ask Uncle Rick all about this. And he'll be like, I don't know. I picked a shoe brand. Why are you asking me this? (laughs) Percy then has an aha moment. Last Christmas, Sally and Percy brought Paul to their cabin in Montauk. And Paul took Percy crabbing. And while they were crabbing, he explained to Percy that crabs have weak spots in their shells right in the middle of their bellies. And I know this is true because my grandpa, who lived on the Jersey Shore, used to take me crabbing. He had the permit to where he could go crabbing. He was really nice about it, too, where you don't have to do this, but he would always put the female crabs back into the water to help out with the crab population. That's not something you're required to do, but he always just did it to be nice, I Mm -hmm. guess, which Mm -hmm. I always thought was nice from Pop-Pop. 
but also we would eat crab a lot. And yeah, that's basically the only way that you can get in is flip them up and open them up from that point in the middle of their belly. So when did it say they went to their cabin? Last Christmas. Was that the way? <sighs> Last Was Christmas? Did the they wedding? give uh, them their heart? And, uh... and they had a crab buffet at the wedding? For oh! Which they mm. 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 Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I guess it would have happened like right after that Demigod file story yeah. that's a Christmas-themed one. Maybe that's why Sally was so concerned he wasn't going to be back oh. in time for Christmas. They had a Christmas Day wedding. Oh! Interesting. The plot thickens. Mm-hmm. So, Percy knows this to be true. So he's got an overall plan. Get my sword in the crab's belly. But now he needs the specific way of how do I access the belly? So he uses his water powers to make the fountain explode. Water goes everywhere. The crab charges at Percy. Percy charges towards the crab as well, does a baseball slide, gets under the crab, and then jabs him in the belly with Riptide, and the crab begins to disintegrate. But Percy just continues running as all the goons prepare to fight, and he leaves Riptide behind stuck in the crab as it's dissolving, and he's just banking on it returning back to him in his pocket, and I know that that is what Riptide does, but this better work, because I'm just nervous anytime he leaves it behind. What if someone grabs it before it teleports, and then, ah, I have the sword now. Does it still teleport if somebody else takes it? We've never seen that happen. That's true. We've only ever seen it dropped or lost or whatever, and then it goes back. So I don't know if someone else wields it. Or is it like the sword in the stone where you have to be the one true person? Or, or is like, it like Thor's hammer yeah, where not everybody say. can grab it? Mm-hmm. Like... I don't know. I'm, and then Annabeth comes along and she also uh, can grab it like Captain America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, I don't know. It, it just worried me. I'm, I'm very uneasy and I really just need to get to the point where it says, okay, the pen was back in the pocket. Me as the person who anytime I leave an airplane, before you get to the part where it's like, no re-entry, you can't turn around. I'm like, cool, let me take off my backpack and unzip my suitcase and make sure I have everything. <laughs> so I'm just super worried. I hope it comes back. If it doesn't come back. I'm going to be very upset with Percy for just leaving it behind. This is Riptide. Come on. Now, there are two Dracani blocking Percy's path. They got their spears. They got their weighted nets. He doesn't have a sword, though, so he has to improvise. He finds a You Are Here display that has a model of the ship. He rips off the model and then just chucks it at one of them. And then as the narrator, he says, and she went down with the ship. Which is Awesome. He then jumps over her, grabs the spear from the other one, and then slams that other one into an elevator and then just keeps on running. Imagine he slams her into the elevator, presses all the buttons, and then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really good stuff. So he's in the middle of this chase. The action stuff is really solid, but this is where we are going to stop for now. I know, I know, it's so good. But anything else, it's just going to be. Really tough, but that's where we're going to stop the episode now if you're listening after the fact, but there will be more. We'll go to the mid-roll break. Hello and welcome to the Cashed Olympian. Yes, this is the name of the mid-roll break for our book five episodes. This is the first edition of the Cashed Olympian and it is also Toronto edition of the Cashed Olympian. I am coming to you live from our hotel. We just completed the live show. It was such a fun time. The crowd was fantastic. The venue was cool. Everything about it was great. Kelly was a phenomenal guest. All good things. And now let's talk about updates for this episode that you're listening to as well as the podcast. First and foremost, there is a video version of this episode. So the venue in Berlin where Kelly and I performed this episode did have a pretty nice camera set up. So if you go to the newest Olympians YouTube channel, I think you can also go to youtube.com slash at symbol newest Olympian. You'll find it. I'll also put the link to it in this episode. But yeah, if you not only want to 
hear the episode, but you want to see the episode and see what it's like unedited, because Sherry and I don't do all the editing for the video that we do for the audio here, you can check that out on the TNO YouTube account and subscribe to it while you're there. Speaking of live shows, we also have our upcoming shows that I've been talking about in Hartford and Chicago and Milwaukee and Minneapolis. Tickets are live at thenewsolympian.com slash live. Now, live show stuff aside, one of the things I love the most about the newest Olympian is the community around the show. And we are just starting our coverage of book five. And that's a wonderful time to talk in the community with other people about either the whole book or just where we're at in the podcast or both, whatever. There's a lot of different ways you can interact with the TNO community, one of which is the Discord. If you join the Patreon at any tier, you get access to the Discord. There's a bunch of different channels. You can talk about just where we are at in the book with the podcast, or you could talk in the channel where all of book five is discussed or the full Rygordan verse or some of the other channels like the ones where we talk about off-topic things or share pictures of pets or the pigeon party channel. Lots of fun stuff over at the Discord. But if that's not for you, we also have two Facebook groups, one that is spoiler-free, one that is spoiler-filled. You can talk about stuff with folks there. I always post episode discussions on the spoiler-free one, so you can go in and talk about your thoughts on the episode. We also have a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash the newest Olympian, where you can talk about whatever you want. So there's lots of different communities. Now's a good time to get in the mix as we begin our coverage of book five, Twitter, Instagram, those things are there too. Whatever you're looking for, search for newest Olympian on social media. We might be there. Now I mentioned the discord, which is for patrons. And speaking of that Patreon, we've got a whole bunch of new things going up on the Patreon director's commentary, bonus episodes, and more. But also speaking of the Patreon, I want to give a shout out to the folks who have joined our Patreon most recently. So shout out to our newest mega God tier patron, Casanova Purdue. Shout out to our new super God tier patron, Morgan Lyle. Shout out to our newest God tier patrons, Feanorian Ranger and Rachel Feist, and shout out to our newest demigod tier patrons, Auntie M and Kayla. Thank you all so much for your support. May Hermes bless you that all your mail gets sent properly. You never get something accidentally returned to sender because you messed up the address or something like that. If you are all caught up on the News Olympian and you're looking for something to put in your eardrums, you could listen to one of the other podcasts that I make. I make a bunch of podcasts. I think they're very good. I'm an independent podcast boy. And one of the podcasts that I make is Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is a game show for charity where I host and I have guests compete to solve children's mysteries from classics like Scooby-Doo and Encyclopedia Brown and Cam Jansen. And the guests try to solve mysteries from these series and you get points for getting it right or you get points for giving silly answers. And whoever the most points at the end earns money for a charity of their choosing. We've been able to raise a good chunk of change for charity so far. The show is very fun. The ad money now in episodes raises money for charity. So if you listen to an old episode, you can help raise money for charity. You can play along at home. So many good things going on with Meddling Adults. Search for Meddling Adults wherever you get your podcasts to listen to it or go to our website, meddlingadults.com. Now, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of those ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are in locally. So if you live in Toronto, don't be surprised if you hear a very nice ad. Everyone here is so nice. The stereotype is so true. Also, if you hear a strange ad wherever you are, please send an email to the news Olympian at gmail.com and let me know. Sometimes weird sponsors come through. They get around my category blockers because they miscategorize themselves. So if something feels off base, like something I wouldn't support, please shoot me an email and I can work with my hosting site to get it squashed. But anyway, once those ads are complete, we will get back to this episode of the news Olympian. For six generations, the Jones family has been providing high-quality meats. And now, we're providing treats for the best member of your family, man's best friend, a.k.a. the goodest boys and girls. Jones Natural Shoes makes bones and treats that are sure to be savored by your dog and are made from the best natural ingredients available. 
Our flavorful chews are made from natural animal parts, and we'll have your puppy drooling with happiness. From treats like sticks and chews to savory bones and patties, we've got you covered for finding the perfect reward for that special pup in your life. Jones Natural Chews come in all sizes, so make sure to choose the right treat for your pup. And remember, it's important to be supervising your pup when they're enjoying their treats to keep your puppy safe. Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. Or visit jonesnaturalchews.com to get started with our store locator tool. That's Jones Natural Chews, available at a pet store near you. So let's do some Q&A, shall we? This first question, though, just completely at random. I'm going to pick it. It is from someone who made the subject line, this is Stephen Para. <laughs> I actually thought of a good question for once. I promise this isn't a bit. Hello, here's my question. The yellow-bellied sapsucker is, in fact, a real bird. It is a type of woodpecker. According to Wikipedia, it is classified as a species of least concern to conservationists. Oh, okay. So... It's doing okay. Maybe Rachel's there did some really good fundraising. <laughs> it can be found in Canada and throughout the Northeastern United States. So apparently, Rachel did a good job. Anyway, here's Stephen's question. Who would you want to share a Berlin pint with? Charlie or Charlie, Beckendorf or Weasley? Mm. It's a tough one. It's a really tough one. Mm. My personal pick is Charlie Weasley. Obviously, I have a really soft spot for wanting to learn more about him. But also, canonically, we know that he's a fun drunk because didn't he get drunk at Bill's wedding and sing songs with Hagrid and stuff? <laughs> I think that was like the only mention of him in book seven. Is like, Charlie was drunk at the wedding and was singing and having a good time. So I feel like it's not a diss to Beckendorf. It's just I know for a fact that Charlie's a good time with beer. So I'm going to take the known quantity. What if Beckendorf is a weird like, I love you so much. Like, <laughs> I don't want to take that risk. So to be safe. I will pick Charlie Weasley. What about you? I'll pick Beckendorf. Okay. Because I think he's cool. I want to know more about him. And if I'm drinking with Beckendorf and you're drinking with Charlie and you and I grab a drink together, uh-huh. then we get all the Charlies together. Yes, there we go. Nice. <laughs> a loophole. Perfect, perfect. A loophole for the question. So this one is from, is it Fede? F-E-D-E? How do I pronounce it? Fede. Fede? Great. First, the email says, Yo, love to see you guys in the EU. Thank you for coming. Hope you had some time to chill, not only work. My question is, what natural god slash demigod power would you like to have? Either funny or serious is fine. So Percy Jackson world, god, demigod power, what would you like? I've said in the past I would like Hermes's powers just because I feel like I often run late or fall behind on messages. <laughs> that is a thought for me, though I do really like... And it's funny because it was always just like a silly sort of thing. But now, according to the Demigod Files, it's very important. Percy's I don't get wet ability (laughs) is actually Mm. very powerful. But I think that would be a pretty good one to have. What about you? I think I would like, I mean, I know that we have the most reference with Percy's abilities. So, I I mean, I do think that sounds really cool. Walking around in the rain, not wet or cold at all. That sounds Mm. great. I like that as an idea. I really love swimming and just to be able to like breathe underwater, I think yeah. sounds really awesome too. Mm-hmm. I'll pick that. Yeah, it's quite nice. There's a bonus question. If you could taste a moment in your life, what would that be? Taste a moment? Yeah, they said, example, the day that I told my now wife I loved her here in Berlin. She's very sweet. Aww. Taste a moment. I'm trying to think because obviously there's very important moments in my life, but I don't know how mm-hmm. to associate it with a taste. But if I could taste a moment in my life. Pick our whole wedding day. 
Yeah. Wedding day would be good. It's a very mm-hmm. complex flavor. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Sweetness, mm-hmm. funness, just spiciness. A whole of, yeah, a whole lot of fun soup all mixed together. I think it would yeah. be a wonderful funfetti type flavor. Right. Yeah. I would also like to taste our first like long conversation where I like oh, knew fun, yeah. that I like had some feelings going on. Yeah. That would be a yeah. nice one to be able to taste. Yeah. Because yeah. it was one of those at that moment, I was like, where is this going? <laughs> but maybe now with the, the future knowledge, mm-hmm. that could be a good time. That'd be fun. Yeah. And it wouldn't just taste like whiskey <laughs> or anything. <laughs> okay. This one is from Sarah says, hi, we're Sophia and Sarah. We have two questions for you. One, if you were forced to get a tattoo dedicated to an Olympian god or goddess, which one would you choose and what would it be? So if you had to get a tattoo dedicated to a god or goddess, what would you choose? Hmm. I know I'm picking a lot of Hermes, but I always thought that the winged sandals are a cool look. So that could be Ah. a fun little tattoo to get somewhere. Maybe you could get, I could get like wings on my actual ankles. <laughs> and that would be a good one to like hide since I'm usually wearing fun socks and stuff like I am today. That's so true. That could be Maybe a just one. a very simple heart for Aphrodite. Okay. Yeah. Something sweet. Yeah, yeah. Number two, if you could be a companion of any of the quests in books one through four, which mm. would you choose? So you could be on any of the quests. Which one was the least scary? I was going to say, <laughs> they all have a chance of death attached to them. So. Right, right. Um, hmm. I do think that the labyrinth yeah. is just so interesting mm-hmm. and all the different places that they end up and the scenery that they see and the different types of underground architecture that they see too. Mm-hmm. I think that could be like a really interesting one to be a companion on, assuming that I yeah. don't die on that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I might pick the third one just because all the means of transportation was really cool. You had the train where they're in the car and then you have mm. flying on the Pegasi a lot and then even both Percy and Grover end up arriving on uh, Rainbow, the hippocampus. There's like lots of fun means of transportation in that one. They go to Olympus yeah. as well. Like there's some fun stuff happening there. Is that the one where they also ride on a wild boar? Yeah. Yeah. So See, yeah, lots some of good stuff. Lots of modes of transport. <laughs> yeah. They drive in like that weird abandoned pickup truck that just happened to be in the junker that I still don't trust. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Okay. This one is from Paulina. Subject line is, please choose my question. I traveled seven plus hours from another country. <laughs> so I had to pick this one. Hi, Mike and Kelly. I'm so excited to be here. The show is great. Question. If you could get any Greek God to be a guest on TNO, who would it be? And what would you ask them? Mm. Lots of love, Paulina. If you're curious, I traveled from Warsaw, Poland. That is dedication. Wow. Awesome stuff. Any Greek god or goddess to be a guest on the show, who would I get and what would I ask them? Who's got all the tea and would spill it? That's oh, Dionysus, for sure. Because yeah. he's at the camp, so he knows all of the, the but scuttlebutt. Only, only if he likes you enough to spill it. I feel like he doesn't yeah. like anybody. Yeah, but he's becoming a bit more of a softie as the yeah. books go on. He's slowly opening up to Percy Jackson slash Peter Johnson slash Perry Johansson, <laughs> as he called him. If it's just for the purposes of TNO, I think the choices would be Mr. D, if I can get some dirt about stuff that happens in the camp, mm-hmm. or Poseidon, just because we could get some Percy insight, maybe get some backstory, learn a little about Sally. Yeah. Like, that could be really sweet, too. So I feel like that would be my choice. That's a good choice. Yeah. So this next email is from Laura. Laura says, hey, it's really great having you here. In the past, Percy had some adventures in different states of the U.S. What do you think would happen on his journey if he'd visited cities from Torup? So the cities that we have gone, how would Percy 
fair, except for getting attacked by stuff everywhere. Yeah. Just attacked by everything. I think you would just get attacked by different things. <laughs> I do think we've said this before. We think in Amsterdam he would do the best. Right. Because he's always close to water. Right. All the canals would be yeah. huge there. So I do mm-hmm. feel like he would fare the best in his journey there. Right. All the We've been to some coastal cities mm-hmm. and I feel like those would be where he would be much better suited. Mm-hmm. I think he just would get attacked by lots of different things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like he'd also get confused with the public transit because it doesn't work exactly like the subway. Yeah. Like he would get confused by the tube in London. It was just like needlessly complicated. I feel like they could have simplified it. <laughs> That's true. I feel like he'd get lost. We got a little bit lost. Okay. I was a little bit lost. I was <laughs> look, it was I feel like they could have done it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So this one is from Marco. Subject line. I sat in a bus for eight hours to get here today. Oh Dedication. Hi, Shubes and Kelly. I hope you're having a good time at the show today. We are. My name's Marco. I'm Hufflepuff. My question for you is: what is the coolest slash most enjoyable thing you did during your travels through Europe so far? I love the first act, and I'm sure I'll love the second just as much. Thank you so much for the show. Hmm. It's been tough. That is hard. It's been really cool. I mean, honestly, like the easy thing is for me to just pick like all of the shows because it's absolutely wild that I just get to do this and that Mm -hmm. I've been able to do this and that we've had the wonderful situation of like everyone here selling out this show so quickly that I had to add a second show in Berlin. Like (laughs) absolutely bonkers stuff. I think if I'm putting that aside, because just Hmm. being able to do that is so ridiculous. Us going up to Lapland, Finland to do our little Northern Lights trip was really cool. It's basically the only thing of vacation we did for this trip because this was very much like a tour. And then if we can do some fun stuff along the way, cool. Mm -hmm. It's the flip of Australia where we were like there for vacation in Australia, New Zealand, and then happened to do some shows. Mm -hmm. So I think the one like vacationy thing we did where we saw the Northern Lights and did the dog sledding Mm -hmm. and snowmobiling and all of that, like that was just super cool. Right. I mean, we're definitely making our time in all of the cities, like carving out little bits of time to have little pockets of vacation. But yeah, that is the one piece of the trip where we took like vacation, but I loved dog sledding. It was fun. It was was fun. So much fun. I really loved that. And I also had a good time in Oslo. We had a fun day where we went to a sauna and then we did the classic like sauna and then go into the freezing cold water and then back into the sauna thing, which was really cool. And then later that day, Kelly and I went tobogganing Mm -hmm. and it was a place where like I had gone before but then we went again Mm -hmm. and then we you know went tobogganing it's like this place in Oslo where they you can take a public transit to it and then it's an old like bobsledding track that they've converted into just like a place where you can just like go sledding sledding now and we rented toboggans and helmets and it was cheap and it was fun and we did two runs and we got absolutely soaked because it was like raining the whole time but it was super fun and it was cool for me to go like a second time and go there with you Mm because I've been there in the past, but now it's fun to like share that experience with you. So that was really fun as well. I felt that way while we've been in Berlin too, since I was here before and I had such a very in-depth experience before. It was fun showing you around and telling you the things that I learned. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun. This question is from Laura. Laura says, if the PGO books were written today, would Grover be a vegan? Wouldn't it be weird if he eats goat cheese? I agree. I think so. And I think that could be something that they put into the TV show. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that's something Mm. that they try to add into it. Because I'm not really sure if the TV show is going to try to make it, like, modern or if they're going to vaguely set it in, like, the mid-2000s like the books kind of are. But Mm -hmm. they feel like they're going to – I feel like they're just going to try to make it modern. I don't think they're going to specifically try to date it. Because the books don't feel particularly dated. They never say exactly what year it is. So I could see them bringing in some more modern stuff like, yeah, why not make Grover vegan? Yeah. Doesn't he love cheese enchiladas? Isn't that like his thing? Right. But he could like cashew cheese enchiladas yeah, or something <laughs> like that. Or like it's pretty easy to, to work that in. Yeah. So I think that could work out. I don't think that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
Uh, this one is from Jule, or is it, do I pronounce it differently? J-U-L-E? Eula? Great. Eula asks, hi, I've loved the show so far. My question is, what is the distillation of your soul into an object? <laughs> Are you a therapist or something? <laughs> the distillation of my soul into an object. I have absolutely no idea. But it's such a fun question, I had to take it and try to figure it out as we go. But the distillation of my soul into an object is mm. really hard. Is it a hairbrush? Nats feels <laughs> too silly. <laughs> You are quite silly, though, so. I think if I if I have to pick something, like, there's the obvious things, like, I could pick our wedding ring. Mm -hmm. Like, that feels, like, like it should. That's actually what I was going to pick. Yeah? Well, okay. Mine's very sparkly and mm -hmm. shiny and fun and pretty. Well, and I also. This <laughs> is nice, too. But... I think may, I might pick your wedding ring. Yeah. No, actually, I think your wedding ring is the right answer because. Are our souls the same? <laughs> I would pick your wedding ring because there's like a fun story with like getting it. And that led to like some silly moments along the way. Yeah. So I think just like spontaneity, the silliness and yeah. a little bit of the hometown roots. I think that the engagement ring is a distillation of my soul into one object. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And now we've had a very deep heartfelt moment to close out the show. Thank you for your wonderful question. I think there's no better place to end it. So give yourselves a round of applause for making it out to the show. I very, very much appreciate it. None of this would have been possible without you. Thank you for selling out the show here so that we had to have another one. What a beautiful problem to have. Give it up to Kelly for being an incredible guest for the show. Absolutely wonderful. Knocked it out of the park. Give it up to Steven for running the merch table. And give it up for all of the folks here at Cosmic Comedy Berlin has, uh, it's just been so wonderful. Everyone has been so nice. The tech stuff went well. Organizing it beforehand went well. The bartender has been nice and wore a Harry Potter shirt for the occasion and everything. It's just been, everyone here has been A plus. It's been so lovely. So thanks to all of them for making it out. We gotta get going and pack up and everything because we are taking a train tomorrow morning to Munich. And based on a lot of the Q&A questions that I didn't get to, a lot of people complained about trains here. Yeah. I thought trains were like your whole thing. So for everyone to complain about them has me very worried. Yeah, it's gonna be an interesting day. It's gonna be a fun time. It hopefully will be very uneventful. But based on all of the emails about people being like, ha ha, have you had a delayed train yet? Or ha ha, hope you didn't book a train to Munich tomorrow. <laughs> I'm very scared now. <laughs> so we'll just have to see, but we got to get going. But thank you all so much for coming out. I really appreciate it. This has been a blast and a half until we cross paths again. If I come back and do another show, either Berlin or somewhere else in Germany, because my German listenership is quite strong and spread out throughout the whole country, which is really, really cool. Until we cross paths again. I'll See you all soon! Hello! 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanas and Brandon Google, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want more TNO in your life, there's a couple different places you can find us. You can find us on social media. We're at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're on Reddit, reddit.com slash r slash The Newest Olympian. And then Patreon has a whole bunch of bonus content at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. Speaking of the Patreon, I'm going to give a shout out to our producer level patrons, our members of the Olympic Court, Kelsey Gillespie, the Damn Steam Nuggets, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hoskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Wickstrom, Megan Moon, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Peter Johnson, the Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Heather McMillan, Casey Williams, Polly Burridge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Josh Sayer, Joshua Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Caden Max, Sam Sam Reby, Riley Kittes, Mary Kelly, Audra, Mrs. O'Leary, Rodith Colna, Milo Kim, Fred Cabras, Harlan Christ, Cece Reads 23, Sandkopf, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Zachary Hamilton, Sarah Neal, Ricky, John Drillsma, Demigod Nurse, Rayla Matthews, Riley Draken, Luna Cadoon, Sky Mallory, Elizabeth Obermiller, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson Fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, and Sky Captain and the Princess. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, you can talk about the podcast. Word of mouth is so huge. Whether you tell someone directly, you know someone who is a PJO fan, or someone who's been looking for an excuse to read the books, you reach out, hey, there's this podcast TNO, the new Olympian. It's perfect. The host is great and also humble. You would love it. You should check it out. Or you can post about us on social media, or you can leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. All of these things really help. And if you do any of these things, I am so, so thankful. And if you do them in the future, thanks in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode. And I hope you tune into our next episode where we will be joined by Stephen Para live in Munich, Germany to discuss the rest of chapter one and a good chunk of chapter two of Percy Jackson and the Last Olympian. But until then, I'll Percy you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Make. So I am currently here in the hotel room in Toronto and I am recording on this little side table and I'm in a chair and stuff. So I was just gonna, you know, make some like ASMR-y noises with the stuff surrounding me. So here's me kind of tapping my fingers and my fingernails against this like faux marble table that I've got stuff set up on. Now I'm gonna rub the velvet of the chair I'm on. There's also like a wood armrest on the chair. I'll kind of like drum my fingers on. And finally, I'm going to rub the, the curtains on the window. Not sure what came through in the audio, but hopefully something did. Thank you so much for listening. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.